The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus and his disciples went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. There's an interesting phrase from Mark's Gospel, actually said twice. Jesus taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. It's Interesting because it would have been the scribes who actually would have possessed a lot more authority than Jesus would have. The scribes, after all, they're the educated class. Uh, They are those who have studied the law of God and what all the rabbis through the centuries now had been teaching about the law and how to apply the law to every area of uh, life. Who was Jesus? Well, at this point in Mark's gospel, uh, during his ministry, uh, socially speaking, Jesus is basically a nobody. He's just a guy out there wandering around, seemingly trying to accumulate some followers. He's telling everyone to repent and to believe that the kingdom of God has come near. He wouldn't have been alone in being one such preacher. I mean, John the Baptist uh, is another such preacher, and we know that there are others around who said something similar. But immediately, in spite of that, uh, the people recognize that Jesus teaches not as the scribes, but as one who, who has authority. He must be listened to. He must be reckoned with. When he speaks, the people listen. He assumes that he has the final word on the subject and that when he speaks, people ought to listen. It really seems to sort of catch people off guard for Usually when the scribes speak, it's very circumspect and cautious. So if there is a question of the day, say on divorce, the scribes might say, well, on the one hand, Rabbi so-and-so said such-and-such about the topic. But on the other hand, Rabbi so-and-so also said this about the topic. In fact, in Jesus' own ministry, people come up to him and ask him questions about divorce. And he speaks with authority, quoting Genesis 1. He doesn't say, well, on the one hand, but they came to him precisely because there were these kinds of disputes and conflicts. There wasn't clear teaching about a topic like, say, divorce. Of course, the listener sort of left saying, well, yeah, but which one of those rabbinic schools has the right answer about what God's word says? And the scribes seem to just sort of say, well, who knows, you know? And so you have the, uh, the kind of invention or the tradition then of these 
rabbinic schools having different teachings on different topics. Schools that still, by the way, exist to this very day. Uh, There was that bizarre story a few weeks back, uh, the tunnels that were being dug in this rabbinic school in New York City. Well, in New York City, there are these historic rabbinic schools, and they have different thoughts about how things ought to go and so forth. So still to this day, you have this issue of the scribes. The scribes are authorities in the sense that they're sort of subject matter experts, right? They know what all these rabbis have said through all the years, but they're not authorities in that they they don't really possess any authority within themselves. They don't speak for God. They just regurgitate what other people have said about God. That's a very different thing, and the people took notice. It's immediately clear that Jesus is not like a scribe. He's not going around saying, well, on the one hand, and well, but on the other hand. He's saying, this is the way things are. He's speaking for God. And as we see in the exorcism, uh, also displayed in our reading from Mark, he is accompanied by many miracles that validate his teaching. And when he's done with the exorcism, what do the people say? What is this, this teaching with authority? So the miracles and the teaching, they go hand in hand. They both demonstrate the authority of Jesus. Now, some caution, perhaps, noticing that someone is speaking with authority it doesn't necessarily mean that they're teaching the truth. Determining what is true requires a kind of different set of disciplines. Teaching with Authority could imply that someone is speaking with great confidence or kind of a swagger, right? That they absolutely know the truth. Uh, Jim Jones and Marshall Applewhite and David Koresh, hey, they all spoke with authority. There was no doubt in their mind that what they were saying was true and right. Uh, But of course, they were wrong. Indeed, a con man is short for someone who is playing a confidence game, Right? Someone who's uh, pretending to be a, an expert on matters. Someone who is pretending they have the right to speak with authority. They present themselves as such. And they can often convince gullible people to hand over money or following uh, precisely through that confidence game. Indeed, I think one of the reasons the church today is often so timid in promoting and applying the gospel is because there have been con men and fakes and frauds and phonies in the past who presented a false gospel. And so now we act in this overabundance of caution because we don't want to be like them. You know, we're not the crazy or the extreme people who go around saying for certain that they speak for God. No, we want to see ourselves as sort of, you know, proper ladies and gentlemen who do all things in moderation, very careful never to speak for God in an inappropriate manner. We want to be respectable. So we don't want to take these positions that might seem too far out there. It only takes one crazy reverend to make us all look bad. So we moderate, both clergy and laity alike. We start to sound like the scribes. Well, on the one hand, such and such and such, and on the other hand, such and such and such. And I grant that on some questions, 
we need to be careful in how we deliberate the answer. We need to take certain things into consideration. Generally speaking, it's the peripheral issues, things that are actually central to the faith. Sometimes we need to be nuanced in how we answer, and I think we should probably always be kind. But many times, a straight answer, a direct answer, is not only preferable, it is demanded. And if we don't learn to speak plainly, trusting that we have the same authority that Jesus had, that we have the word of God that can be clearly communicated, then the Christian witness will end up with no edge, no grit, no uh, toughness, no meat on the proverbial bones. Over time, the choice to speak will become more like that of a, of a scribe and, and less as one with authority. It will lead to irrelevancy. Uh, yesterday, I saw a chart. It mapped the attendance and membership of all the mainline Protestant churches, the you know, Lutherans and Methodists and Presbyterians and so forth, and they're all just cratering, you know, basically down 40% in, in recent decades. So if that isn't what irrelevancy looks like, I'm, I'm not sure what, what is. You see, no one really needs a church or a pastor or a savior, for that matter, who doesn't assume the authority of God. And if we don't assume that authority, then why are we even bothering if all we do is sort of carefully consider every angle of every issue and then come down on the least offensive answer, then we'll have become little more than a debating society, not an institution that knows the truth and promotes the truth from generation to generation. I've mentioned a few weeks ago a memoir that I'd read, sort of a short book published by Guideposts back in the day. Remember Guideposts? Is Guideposts still around? Yeah, no, maybe. Anyway, it was a book called Crossroads, uh, written by uh, famous Houston attorney Leon Jaworski. And towards the end of the book, because I finished it now, although I hadn't finished it at the time I last quoted from it, um, he's reflecting toward the end of the book how he was inspired by God to take particular cases and construct particular arguments in those cases, etc., etc., and he offers uh, this commentary about the church in his own day. The book was written in 1981. Oh, and by the way, I got to the part where he talks about how he left this congregation and joined First Presbyterian in the 1950s because they had more uh, opportunities for his children. I said, nothing ever changes. He said this, uh, he quote now, Sadly, I feel that in general our churches today are weak. And this weakness lies not just in diminishing membership roles among the major denominations, but stems from the apathy of those on the rolls. To attend church on Sundays is commendable, but to sit in the pew for an hour of worship and do no more than that for, the, for God's kingdom and his righteousness can hardly lay up treasures in heaven. And hey, that was over 40 years ago when they were already noticing the precipitous decline of the churches. People are afraid to be bold because they are afraid they will be criticized. Those in the pews uh, are often afraid to support an outspoken pastor because they don't want to wrongly speak for God, uh, or it's just embarrassing in polite society. 
And pastors are often afraid the congregation won't have their back. It's the gentlemanly thing, we believe, after all, to carefully consider an issue from all sides and then, again, put out some kind of carefully crafted statement that offends no one but also says very little. It's like the PRization of proclamation, right? PR, like public relations, yeah. I just made up that word on the spot. It's not, not even in the manuscript here, so. The question for us then before us really is, well, in what way do we believe Jesus to be authoritative? Is he 100% authoritative on all matters, even things like you know advanced calculus and uh, automotive repair? Or might we just consult him from time to time on a few matters, like maybe some moral issues that he actually spoke to? Or maybe, of course, as is a common view, he has no authority at all, being just some itinerant preacher from the Bronze Age. Well, Jesus does, in fact, have all authority in all manners, including automobile repair and advanced calculus. For he is the Lord of glory and the King of kings, and even those topics deal with how we love and serve our neighbor or the general order uh, of the universe that makes the whole thing work, you know, gravity and biology, etc. Where Jesus has spoken plainly, we obey without even questioning. I hope that goes without saying. Where he does not cancel out the Old Testament law, such as temple sacrifices, well, then we assume that law continues. And when Jesus was silent, because this may shock you, but Jesus didn't talk about every possible issue any of us could ever encounter. So where he is silent, we do our very best to look at the whole of the Bible and we apply the word of God. Amazingly, even in the church, the authority of Jesus is often questioned. Let that not be true among us, lest we incur God's wrath. Of course, I'm not going to go through the list of every issue before us now, but the point is that we must speak with authority, and we can, because we possess God's word. We need to come to that decision first, that we actually do have authority and can speak with authority. We need to have that same reverence and awe for Jesus, as this crowd did, and show that respect to Jesus. We need to know for certain that Jesus speaks as one with authority then and not as a mere scribe. And we don't have to speak in such a way either. And thank God that Jesus is authoritative. For it is Jesus' authority that makes him, of course, so different from us. It's his authority that marks him out as an acceptable sacrifice to the Father on the cross. He has authority because he speaks for God and because he is God. And that is how he saves us, because he is God in human flesh, who died on the cross for our sins. He has authority to do so, just as he taught with authority, and just as he cast out demons with authority. So we take the good with the good. Jesus teaches with authority, so we clearly know right from wrong. And his authority is what makes him a savior. Thanks be to God. Amen.